Live life and do it on purpose. Live your life. Live it with a purpose, but live life. As we say here at Ship Church, God's adventure together, fully alive on purpose. Do it intentionally. Have a direction in front of you. Carpe diem. We've heard that phrase. Carpe diem! Dead, Dead Poet Society. Carpe diem. Seize the day. Seize the day. You know, when, when, uh, Martin, when Toodles is, is flying out the window in, in the movie Hook, he says, seize the day. What are we seizing? What life are you seizing? Tools. Tools help us to, to work. Gary, you got a lot of tools. I've seen your trailer. <laughs> not enough, not enough. <laughs> it's like, a, you know, like the, a barbecue smoker, like my, myself. And, you know, we can never have enough barbecues. If you looked out on, on, our, on our yard, I've got like four or five different kinds of like outdoor cooking areas. And I use all of them for some other purpose, you know, one purpose or another. <laughs> but tools, there are tools for life, for living your life, working a job, doing a specific job. There's all sorts of tools for living. So think about the tools of living. Well, how do I live my life? Well, I have to eat, right? I have to be able to, you know, your, your, your basic survival tools, you've got to have water to drink, food to eat, cover a house over your head, transportation. Now, for Jesus and them in their days, it was, you know, sandals, walking. You know, for us, it's our cars, and we rely on them so much nowadays. So, so much so that you feel it when they're not working well. Can't even work. And, you know, technology, we've become so reliant on technology in so many areas, and we've been talking about these last couple weeks. Clothing, or else it'd be really awkward this morning. Clothing, we, we need clothing to, to walk around and to not feel like, you know. <laughs> Communication. Like right now, I've got my phone set up, and we're talking, you know, we're, we're having this service together with another, like, 10 people online. You know, five to ten people or so. And so, communication, being able to be here even though you can't be here. As we've learned anything through this COVID season, this pandemic, is how so reliant and a huge blessing it is. Not, I'm not downplaying technology at all. Just the huge blessing that technology is, but how reliant we are upon it. Because it's a tool. It's a tool that we use. And a, a great tool in all of life that we can't do this life in America without is, unfortunately, money. Money is a tool in our lives. Now, the question is, like, you know, does God care about money? Well, the short answer is absolutely. There's a lot in the Bible about money and generosity and caring for another and how to use it, how to not to use it. You know, different words for good uses and different words for bad uses. And so I'm not going to cover everything in a 30-minute sermon, even two 30-minute sermons on giving or finances or money in the church or whatever, you know, anything around money. But I hope to give us a perspective and a, a mental and spiritual trajectory as we, think of, as we think about 
What does God think about money? So first and foremost, like we just talked about, money is a tool. And like any tool, it is amoral, meaning it has no morality of itself. Facebook is not evil. People use it for evil. A gun is not evil. People use it for evil. And good. They provide food for the table. Or they do horrendous things with it. Tools are amoral. Money is amoral. And basically, how it's, it's, its morality is in the hand of its user. It can be used for good, to honor God. Remembering, as God told, the, told Israel in, in Deuteronomy, he said, you may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained me this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. It's God that gives you the power in order to confirm his covenant he swore to your ancestors as it is today. But it can also be used for evil. As Paul said to Timothy in Ephesus, he said, loving money is the first step toward all kinds of trouble. As we talk about that word evil, as it's often translated, evil, anything that ends in destruction or vanity is evil, which is trouble, he, he translates here. Some people run after it so much that they have given up their faith. They've worshipped it instead of God. That's the, very, you know, the definition of idolatry. Craving more money, more money, more money, pushes them away from the faith into error, compounding misery in their lives. And so where are we focusing our minds when it comes to money? What is God's heart, God's intention, God's thinking and perspective about it? Well, remember, God is eternal, and he lives in eternity. And that, as we would have been talking about with Ephesians 1 and 2, is where we are seated with him. Jesus Christ has been raised to the, to the highest seat of all honor and all authority above every name that is, a, that is to be named. In Ephesians 2, we have been, you know, but God, rich in mercy, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive in Jesus Christ and seated us with Christ in the rule and all authority, with him. So remembering who we are, where we are, and whose we are, as we talked about this summer. Remember your identity in Christ and your place in him. Because that is how we will use our money. That is how you will use your money. Out of that identity. Whether good or bad. What is our thinking around money? Because when your mind dwells in eternity with God, with where you truly are, it shifts what you do in the temporary. When, you're, when you are placed securely in your faith, in Christ, in eternity, it transforms and shifts your thinking about what we do specifically with our money. Because faith in God brings financial flourishing. Now, I'm going to try to spend the rest of the, the, our time together uh, justifying this in the sense of explaining it. Because uh, you know, when, I, when I read phrases like this, I'm like, all right, here it comes. You know, he's going to ask for money, and the next week he's going to be like rolling out in a Rolls or you know, in, in a Mercedes. You know, because I, I have that sensitivity to, to giving as, as well, to, to money, to churches asking me for money, or churches even talking about money. 
So I don't even want to talk necessarily about giving to the church this Sunday. I just want to get our hearts around God's heart for money itself and God's heart for you, for your money. And so when I say God bring, you know, faith in God brings financial flourishing, not just if you believe in God, God will make you rich. That's not what this phrase is saying. I want to justify by first saying that, by laying the groundwork, by saying this is not a prosperity gospel message. Believe in Jesus and he'll make you rich. Sow a seed and God will bless you a thousandfold. I'm reaching out to you for, my money, for money with a Rolex. I'm not going there. That's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about flourishing. The biblical word for this is shalom. Life as God intended it to be. The word that we also see in our Bibles often translated as peace in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. Irene as it's translated from the Greek. Shalom. As God created everything in the garden in the beginning to work and to flourish and to work together and prosper together and encourage and build up perfectly, that is what shalom means. It means flourishing. I love that word, flourishing. Because when I think about my wife's garden, flourishing, I imagine harvest season and our counters just covered in, in veg- vegetables and fruits and us being able to eat for years on what Amberlynn harvests because of flourishing. But not just the amount, but the color and the richness of it and the flavor of it. Flourishing the quality of it, not necessarily the quantity of it. God desires, like every tool, for us to be intentional, to live our lives, to use our money intentionally, on purpose, through our identity in Christ. So we, we uh, went through this, this uh, study, this video, video series with our men's group uh, called 33. And it was a really neat series. And the, thing that, the one, one main thing that I know that I will take with me to my grave is the four... Four definitions of, of manhood, authentic manhood, which is rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, and invests eternally. Invests internally. And that's what I want to bring in this morning, because it's not just a definition of manhood. I mean, these four definitions of manhood don't necessarily just apply to men. They can apply to women as well. It's not like this gender definition or separation. This is just for us as men to wrap our minds around how God has created us specifically and the responsibility that he's given us as men in our lives, as men individually, as husbands, as fathers, leaders, business owners, workers, just find, you know, discovering these things. And so what does this look like for us as a church to wrap our minds around this phrase, to invest intentionally? I'm sorry, invest eternally. What does it look like for you? Men, women, children, teenagers, to invest eternally. Let's look at Matthew. You probably heard this in a a teaching about money, right here. Don't keep hoarding for yourselves earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves. Material wealth eventually rusts, decays, and loses its value. 
Basically, it's, it's also translated where, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Right? Instead, stockpile heavenly treasures. We'll get back to that phrase. I love that phrase. Instead, stockpile heavenly treasures for yourself that cannot be stolen, will never rust, decay, or lose their value. For your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. That word treasure, heavenly treasures are eternal realities. They're what is true and real in eternity. The things that will not pass away when this world passes away. Paper will pass away. Your money in your bank account, the, the you know, ones and zeros, you know, in binary code on, the com- on computers somewhere, will break down one day. They will disappear. Hopefully because you didn't shop too much. Not because you shop too much. All these things will decay, but heavenly treasures are eternal realities. Now what are those? Loving others. Loving Christ. Your relationship with Jesus. Your faith in God. Your relationship with others in the church, with the church itself, with your app group and with, one, with your one-on-ones. Those relationships, loving others, will never pass away. Revealing God's truth through his preached word, through his written word, through his spirit-inspired word. Walking in joy. Doing God's work on earth. Whatever he's called you to do. Bringing that shalom. Bringing God's flourishing to, your, to yourself, to your family, and to those around you. Walking in freedom. Walking in <coughs> flourishing and victory in Christ because of the cross, because of the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. That is the eternal realities that we're talking about. Those are those heavenly treasures that we stockpile up. So wrapping our minds first around what, what our treasure is and where our treasure should be found and where our treasure should be saved up, and now then thinking, interpreting, and, and putting our money through the filter of heavenly treasures. Putting our money through the filter of what God values, what we should value. And God's call to us, God's call to you. Think about it. Hear these words individually in your life. God is speaking to you here this morning. He's saying to you, live like no one else. Stop interpreting the way that you should spend your money on the, you know, based upon the world. Marketing is a multi-billion dollar industry to tell you how you should spend your money. Credit cards, loans, debt, slavery, greed, wasting it away, frivolity. Don't take our interpretation of money, of life and value from the world. Have this in your mind. I'm going to live like no one else. They may call me a fool. 
because of how I spend or don't spend my money. But I don't care because I'm living God's way. Because God's desire, what God does in our lives is he transforms our spirit. He transforms our heart first. He doesn't want you to just you know, go out there and try to change your behavior and try to do better and do better and do better. If you've been at Shift Church for any given amount of time, you know that that's not the gospel. Do better. Do better is never a part of the gospel. It's know Jesus so that your actions will reflect the transformation that God is bringing Live like this because guess what? It's who you are. Don't do that stuff. That's dumb. That's not who you are. That's the world. That's where that belongs. But the gospel is simply living God's way. Living like no one else. This is why our early brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, they weren't called Christians. They weren't even called saints yet. They were called followers of the way. That was their original name in Jerusalem. You must not preach in the name of this and live in this way. Like, we will follow the way. Followers of the way, God's way, Jesus' way, because of the transformation that he brought to our hearts and then to our minds. And it manifests itself in our actions. And so how do we do this? How do we live this way? How do we live God's way? Well, first, pray. Like we've talked about, prayer is focus. Prayer is focus. As God even says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. To know the plans that I have for you, that's Jeremiah 29, 11, and this is 12. Seek the heart of God because he's got plans to what? Prosper you, to flourish you. I like that word better has less negative connotations. To flourish you and your family and your life and his people. Prayer is focus in seeking God's intentions, seeking God's perspective. So if you want to hear what I'm saying, saying this morning about your finances, about your money, it's this. Seek God's intentions for it. Focus on God. Focus on the gospel. Focus on what he values. Seek God's perspective. That's what the word namas means. Oftentimes translated as law. Namas means God's ways, God's perspective, God's intention, God's worldview, how he lives. Live God's way. And the second thing is what I believe that he's calling us to. It's actually engage it. Engage your money. Think about it. Literally, not, not just think about it, but think about your money. Oftentimes, that's the, one, that's the hardest thing that, that for us is, as Christians slips us up, is that we don't really think about it. We just kind of spend, and until we got no more money, we're like, well, I guess we can't eat today. We have to go, go to the food bank. No. We don't think about it, and we end up, we're wondering where our money went. And so I want to give us some, some practical tools. Now, again, this is just this, this is what I was taught. And I'll give a, a story at the end of why I believe that this is so powerful. And so 
Uh, there, there's a, a gentleman named, a brother, a brother in Jesus named Dave Ramsey. Uh, now, I don't know your, your opinions about him. Some people have heard about him. Some people have not. So Dave Ramsey is like the, our brother who, in Christ who is a financial, I wouldn't say guru, but he is such a wise counselor when it comes to money. Because he's made his failures in the past. He went bankrupt during, in, in 08. Was it 08 when he went bankrupt, I think, Eaton's? Was that his story? I can't remember. Was it before that? Okay. Oh, you're right. I think it was like back in the 90s or 80s or something. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So he's made his mistakes and he's learned the hard way in a lot of ways. So he wants us to not make the same, the same <coughs> mistakes. And especially as you guys, you're younger, like learning these things first and early. I, I wish I had learned these lessons when I was your age. Trust me. Man, I wish I would learn these lessons and, and, and invested my, you know, my attention this direction. So he has this program called Financial Peace University, and we went through it uh, here about a year and a half ago, or I guess almost two years ago now. Wow, it was almost two years ago. Whew. Wow. Seems like yesterday. <laughs> Time is going by fast. Uh, man. Um, and so this is, these are his seven baby steps. Just going to give you a little taster of Dave Ramsey and, and the wisdom that he talks about. There's a whole book, and I meant to grab the book, but the girls were still asleep when I left this morning. But <laughs> I didn't want to walk and be like, hey, I'm just grabbing a book. Yeah. Um, but, so these are the seven baby steps of financial peace, financial freedom. Ways for us, as in our minds, to focus our attention on our finances. First and foremost, most important, here's some seven baby steps. These are just wisdoms from Dave Ramsey. And he has a lot of biblical main, you know, reasons why to do all these things as well, which are, again, in the book and the videos. Uh, so save $1,000, emergency fund, right off the bat, so that in case anything happens to your car, like an alternator, battery, et cetera. Uh, you know, that $1,000 that you have to spend every time you know, your Audi breaks down, right? <laughs> or you know, whatever it is, you have to change your oil, or you have a flat tire, whatever it is. Again, transportation is needed, right? Or a phone or something, some, something you know, saved up so where if anything happens, you've got a little cushion. Then, step number two, pay off debt. And he's got all sorts of amazing tools for paying off debt. And the philosophy about debt is that it is a slave master. Your credit score is actually, in, for us in the Bible, for us in the church, is a slave score. How good of a slave are you to a master is what your credit score is. How trustworthy are you with debt is all it's saying. It does not show you your value. It does not show you your worth to God. It shows you your value to slave masters. And Emberlin and I have a, have a goal to have a credit score of zero. It's our goal. I'll talk a little more about that in a little bit. And then, once you've paid off all debt, you save three to six months' expenses. So that way, if anything happens to you or your or family member, you have enough to get by for six months to a year, or, six, or three to six months, or maybe in a year, if you decide a year. So if you get injured, or you can't work, or something like that, and you don't have like, the, the insurance and everything, like you have expenses paid for. You don't have to worry. And then, once you have those things saved up, then here are the things that, he's, that he poses as, as wise things to do with your money going forward. After that, so this we I mean, take these for a grain of salt. These are great, a great, you know, great wisdom um, to 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 think about. Save for retirement. 
start you know, putting, putting aside 15% of your income for retirement to provide for your family when you're, when you're done working. Save for college, for the kids. You want to send your kids away to college. You know, is it university, trade school, whatever? It is. Like making a decision about how you as a family are going to provide for your, your kids going forward. Pay off your mortgage early. Don't just wait and like pay, make payments as, as you kind of you know, make the minimum payments until it's over, you know, 30-year one. But get, you know, get that 15-year, down to 15 years, get the better, better interest rate, and then just pay that sucker off quick, as fast as you can. I love this, 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 still, this video still is stuck in my head of this guy standing on, in his backyard on a lake, his dream house, his dream property. He's standing there barefoot. And he's sitting there just putting his, you know, putting his toes in the grass. He's like, this is mine. And therefore, it's the Lord's. I own this land. It doesn't own me. Like, the bank doesn't own me. I'm not standing on someone's borrowed land. This is mine. And it's for God's use because it's mine. This is God's soil. And I just love that story, that, that, that imagery. And then, build wealth. And he's, he focuses specifically, I want to make sure that this is clear. And give. This isn't just some hoarding up of money. Saving and, and building wealth and becoming a millionaire, just become a millionaire and like, you know, just like spending money all, all, all over the place, going on cruises and vacations and living it up. Like just hoarding it for yourself. He's saying, God has given you responsibility. God has given you blessing to be a blessing. If there's anything we've learned from Israel, is that God blesses their socks off. God brings them wealth and gold and they build this amazing temple. Victory over their, over the, their enemies in battle. All sorts of amazing things. He gives them flourishing in their flocks and in their cattle so that they can be a blessing to the nations, to the, be a blessing to one another, to provide for one another. Like the Levitical priests, they didn't have an inheritance. You know how they were taken care of? The other people of Israel. They took care of the priests. The priests were able to eat because of the people around them. Because they were supplying what they needed. The priesthood in Israel. And so this isn't a call to hoard money, hoard finances. There's a difference. Because investment is an act of faith. Where is your money going? What are you investing your money in? Where is it, where is it heading? Where is it ending? Hoarding it up, hoarding it up. Another word for this is greed. The money hungry. The ones who just look, look at it like, you know, like an alcoholic looks at, at, at alcohol and just like craves it and doesn't think about anything else. Loses his life, loses his job, loses his family. That's greed. When your worship is on the money and getting as much as you can for yourself. But I love, I love this phrase. I love this word for, for money for us in the church. Conservation. Or preservation. Like we talked about, preservation and conservation of, of wildlife, you know, habitats and conservation of, of the environment. 
I love this phrase for money because we're, cons- we're, we're being conservative, I guess I say. We're conserving, pres- preserving what is God's so that he can use it in the future for others, for being flourishing to his people. So the question is, does God want me to be rich? What do, now, Alan, what do, what do we talk about here? Is he like talking about how we're just going to be like, you know, money's going to be falling from the, from the ceiling and you're just like, woo! Like all of a sudden we're going to go to our bank account and see like $10,000 that we didn't know where it came from? I've heard of stories like that. I'm cool, I'm cool with those stories. You know, I like to see God... What's that? God is spending yeah, God's entrusted that money for a reason. Maybe like God is setting up so, you know, to meet someone who needed that money. So it's like, oh, cool, $10,000. God, where's it going? Conserving it, preserving it for his purposes. I love the this, this story about this businessman. He, you know, he just started a business and he decided with his family, this is what our lifestyle is going to be like. We're going to live in a nice, we're just going to live in a house. Nothing necessarily extravagant, nothing but nothing too junky. Like, we're just going to live in a house. We're going to enjoy a nice house, and this is going to be our standard of living, no matter how much money we make in the future. No matter how much our business flourishes, this is going to be our standard of living. And he gave, he started with 10%. And his business flourished. He started giving to the Lord, and his business started flourishing, started flourishing and growing more, but he, he has, has income, and so then the, the business, because it was flourishing, started giving him more. But then he started saying, oh, I'm going to give a higher percentage. So he upped it to 20, or 15, and then 20, and then 25, and 30. And toward the end of his life, he was giving 90% of his income to the church. Was that J.C. Penny? He was giving 90% of his income to the church or to ministries because he decided this is the standard of living. And I don't know if you know much about Rick Warren. Rick Warren has sold over 15, 16 million copies of Purpose Driven Life now across the world. The most successful book in all of history beneath the Bible. And he still drives the same F1, F-150, drives the same motorcycle, the same Harley to work every day because it's California and he can. Still lives in the same house. If there's anyone who shows us and proclaims to us a beautiful story of using God's money in a way to bless and serve others and remain faithful to who he is in Christ when it comes to his finances, it's Rick Warren. It can be so tempting, especially in the church. That's why so many, people, so many prosperity preachers fall prey to it. Because money, like I said, is the root of all kinds of trouble, all kinds of evil. So rich doesn't equal flourishing. And flourishing doesn't necessarily equal rich. God might bless you to be rich because he trusts that you will use it for his purposes. Faith is an investment. And where is that investment going? Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender because debt and greed are two sides of the same coin. Greed and hoarding is one, is one side where they're buying things because of positive money. They're, bec- they're rich and they're spending it on themselves. Debt is the same mentality but using someone else's money. 
I'm going to buy that TV. I'm going to buy that or buy this or buy this or buy that and go into debt and live like the rich man by borrowing his money and becoming a slave to him. So not only are you becoming a slave to your possessions and the things that you're buying, but you're becoming a slave to the lender. And you're elevating a person above God. That's why God says you can't serve two masters. And this is huge in my life because I was there with the debt. I'm still kind of there. I'm still trying to pay it off, student loan debt. And I tell you, word of wisdom, if you can go to school without any student loan debt at all, do it. If you have student loan debt, pay that sucker off and figure out a new trajectory. Faith, like we talked about, is allegiance. Are you being allegiant to possessions and debt? Slaver? Or are you being allegiant and faithful to Christ? Are you trusting? You're putting your trust in something. You're putting your trust in credit. You're putting trust in retirement. You're putting your trust in this over here. But are you putting your faith, trust in who you're supposed to be, your true master, Jesus Christ, the Father? Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord completely and don't rely on your own opinions, your own understandings. With all of your heart, rely on him to guide you and he will lead you in every decision that you make. And that includes finances, you guys. Seeking the Lord's heart for your finances, for your money, for where you're going and asking him to bless it. Ask and you will receive. Ask him so that you can be faithful for what he wants to spend your, the money on. Not for selfish gain, as, it, as the Bible talks about. Seek the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust in him. Become intimate with him in whatever you do. And he will lead you wherever you go. But don't think for a moment that you know it all. For wisdom comes, comes when you adore him with undivided devotion and avoid everything that's wrong. Avoid the wrong thinking of the world and avoid the temporary thinking of this world. Put your mind in eternity. Then you will find the healing refreshment your body and spirit long for. Glorify God with all your wealth, honoring him with your very best, with every increase that comes to you then every dimension of your life will overflow with blessings from an uncontainable source of inner joy. Because the focus of finances is to use it to glorify God by accomplishing the work that he's given us to do. That's the purpose. That's, the, that's the, our big why as a church is to glorify God by accomplishing the work that he's given us to do. And so our finances go through that same lens. The focus of our finances is to use it to Glorify God by accomplishing the work that he's given us to do. Now, what, is that, what does that work? Well, first is to provide for ourselves and our families. The Bible says the man who doesn't provide for his, for his family first has rejected him, has rejected his family, and is actually worse off than an unbeliever if you don't provide for, you, for your, your, yourself and your family. Provide and bless one another in the church. Set people free from bondage. Going back to the give portion, helping people to go to get free, to live free, 
to live in that flourishing that God wants them to walk in. Live like no one else so that you can live and give like no one else. Now, I know a man uh, who was over I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, over $100,000 worth of debt. Loans, credit cards, cars, etc. Wasn't paying anything on them. Was drowning in debt. Was drowning in worry because he was like, I don't know how I'm going to pay this. Not paying anything to, on, on, the, on the debts. Not paying any kind of offering or tithe to the church. Or if he was, it was on the occasion. It was the occasional giving to the church. Justified it. He tried to play the credit card game. He'd like load everything up, all of his bills and all of his transactions up on a credit card. And then try to pay it off with, the, with his paycheck every month. Kept building debt. You know, he didn't pay it off. And eventually he was over $10,000 in credit card debt. And then the testimony of Financial Peace University. He took Financial Peace University. Set a budget and first and foremost put offering. 10%. Just started with 10% right off the top. First fruits, like Proverbs says. First, the very best, the very first fruits of your labor. Cut it off the top. It's not even yours. Don't even consider it yours. And then budget everything else out. And then focus on paying off that debt. Getting this kind of little side hustle and attacking it as Dave Dave Ramsey talks about, you know, debt attack, debt snowball, attack it, kill it, murder it. A good murder. Not the master. (laughs) That would create a whole other set of problems. But then he started to see God bless. He started to see credit cards being paid off. He saw the car paid off. He saw a student loan paid off. Huge attacks on another one. And then he saw partners coming in saying, I've seen your work. I've seen your discipline and I want to help. I want to partner with you to get free of your slaver. I want to help you and partner with you. And a year and a half in, he has paid off over $80,000 of debt because he focused. He placed his focus on his money to use it on purpose, to do something intentionally with it, to not just sit back at the end of the month and wonder wonder where his money went. Oh, I can't pay off debt this month. Oh, I can't do this. I can't pay the Lord. I'm sorry, God. I didn't have enough left over. He first said, no, God, you are first. And my money, guess what? It's yours. Tell me and lead me and show me where you want us to spend this so that we can be faithful to free ourselves from slavery so that we can be free. Imagine debt-free. I've talked to people who have been debt-free. I've, I've, I'm on the SoFi group, that, you know, and like every, time, every day I'm seeing this you know, paid off, paid off, paid in full. And I'm rejoicing with those people because it's see, I'm seeing people become free of their masters, of the debtors. And they feel light. They feel free. They feel peace. 
It's like someone who is in chains. This is their master. They've locked themselves in. I can't go over here up oh, because I got this debt. Oh, I'd love to go out, go out. Oh. Oh, I'd love to give, I'd love to give you to support your, your, ministry, your ministry. Oh, I'd, I'd love to give you a wedding present. Oh. I'd love to help with this or with that. I'd love to go and do this, God, but look, I'm a slave. And the world will give you all sorts of all sorts of keys. You know, fame and you know, get rich queen, you know, get get rich schemes and multi-level marketing companies and all sorts of these keys that they say, this is the key to success. This is the key. Look at how big this key is. Well, you have to find the right key. And that key is faith in God. This is what it means that God, you know, faith in God brings financial flourishing. It's saying, I will no longer be a slave. And not only am I free and I'm thankful that I'm no longer a slave to that, but now, guess what? I'm empowered. I'm free to go. I'm inspired to go and do other things, to do things I couldn't do before. Works of God and ministry and love and service to people that I couldn't do when I was a slave free and inspired to do what God wants me to do. Because God desires flourishing because faith in God brings financial flourishing and that flourishing cultivates faith. You see God deliver. You see God blessing and you're inspired and you're encouraged to keep going and doing more and having more faith and then seeing God provide and seeing God come through. You're like, yes! I'm with you, God. Seek and entrust your money and your stuff to the Lord who wants to bring flourishing to your finances. Like I said, not to make you rich necessarily, but to make your finances healthy. Because not only are you gaining wealth, gain, you know, getting money from healthy sources but you're also spending them and telling your money where to go in order to cultivate and to grow God's kingdom, starting first in your family. But it takes intentionality. Engage. Live your life and do it on purpose. Gain, you know, earn money and spend your money and do it on purpose with a purpose and watch as God blesses and watch as God cultivates frees you from slavery and empowers you to bless God we thank you for your, your presence with us we thank you God that you are a God that no matter what and how much money we get, Lord, that you desire to use it and to multiply it like you did the fish. It's not about sowing seeds and being self-driven with our money. 
It's not even just about you know, pressuring everyone to give all their money to the church. That's not your heart either, God. Your heart is healthy, a healthy understanding, a healthy spirit, and healthy action that comes from a place of joy, comes from a place of peace with you, God. So Lord, we pray as we encounter you, and and Lord, as we hear from your spirit in this moment, God, that you would lead us, inspire our hearts, give us the faith that we need, give us the grace to understand your heart for our finances. Help me, Lord Jesus, to be a source for for wisdom, for, for direction, as an inspiration, Lord Jesus. Help those in this church, Lord, the Edens and the messengers and, and just, Lord, people in this church that want to help each other to live like no one else so that we can live and give and bless like no one else. Make us your church, Lord Jesus, a light to this, this city because you're bringing freedom and flourishing. because you are a God of blessing and flourishing. For in your name we pray, the Prince of Shalom. Amen.